Middle-earth is full of unlikely stories. From fragile Eldar taking on and defeating immortal evil, to mortal men challenging the gods themselves, to tiny halflings bearing the fate of an age. So here, on the plateau of Gorgoroth, deep in the heart of enemy territory, it's surprising, but not too surprising, to find dwarves. The Hobbit tells us that we should not expect too much from the dwarves. Some are tricky and treacherous and pretty bad lots. Some are not, but are decent enough people. The weary dwarves here, sifting through the ash and rubble of Amonomarth's death throes, don't seem much like the former. They aren't dour hands. Something feels off, though. How did they get here, and why have they remained? Their home, the flaming spire of Lugash, gives us more questions. The stained white walls and inextinguishable flaming crown make its namesake obvious, but its history is cloudy. For this structure bears little resemblance to the old Mordorim forts and temples we are treated to in our flashback to the Second Age in Mordor Besieged. So this could be a newish construction, built up by Gondor during their long watch on the Black Land, or it could be a mockery made by the very slaves that inhabit it. And then there is Zoreth, mistress of this place. Another player, it seems, in a game that offers the prize of Mordor itself in the absence of the Dark Lord. More questions, few answers, and ringing in the background is the anvil of the dwarves of old. What does it all mean? It's Lugash, and you are listening to Beneath Your Feet. In the beginning, not long after the appearance of the elves at Quivienen, the seven fathers of the dwarves awoke. We know a little of where they went and who became their people. In the east, four of the seven clans found homes, the Iron Fists, the Stiff Beards, the Blacklocks, and the Stonefoots. Proprietary licenses being what they are, the Lotro team had to get creative in their use of the great dwarf houses. So the Stiff Beards morphed into the Cambrada or Drassus folk. Somehow, some way, by the evil deeds of Sauron, they lost their name and became the Stout Axes. We're not told this directly. The first stout axe we speak with is Spakorth, who gives us some vague timeline of his people. It's not until we are told the tale of Azanul Bazar by Hersig that we can begin to make some connections. For there, we are introduced to all seven of the dwarf clans. Among them is the Cumbrata. We don't learn much about them. They appear to have some Baltic touches to help flesh them out, and their appearance accords with that bit of real-life history. Then, back in Mordor, after the War of the Ring, another piece presents itself. As I said, Spakorth, ambassador of the Stout Axes, gives us the broad strokes of the history of his people, and we learn that 78 years ago, these dwarves were stripped of their kingdom in the east, deceived by Sauron, and made his slaves. More questions, and fewer answers. Clearly, the Cambrada were deceived by Sauron, as their king took up his ring and was driven mad by lust for gold. But how was their whole kingdom swept away? Seventy-eight years ago was, appropriately, when the White Council removed Sauron from his hideout in Dal Guldur. Perhaps in a fit of rage, Sauron fled eastward and called upon his allies and the dwarves to help him, and then double-crossed them, making them slaves and smiths. 78 years is not a single generation when it comes to the lifespan of dwarves, but somehow they lost their identity as Cambrada and became the Stout Axes. 
How much of this is proper, and how much is a necessity of storytelling in an online game? Well, we know that the arts of the Dark Tower are fierce and brutal. Surely Sauron and his worst underlings could beat the pride even out of sturdy dwarves. Perhaps by such tortures they were forced to deny their heritage as Cambrada and take up the mantle of slaves. Tossing into the mix the deception of Vasgum, their king, and his rogue sect of Firehorns, this is not hard to imagine. The result is a broken people of small number, stunted folk pressed into service against their will, rejected in the end by their deceivers and only taken in by the mysterious and cruel Zoreth, Keeper of Lugash. The flaming spire itself, like so many other enemy holdings, seems to live in a perpetual state of disrepair. Why the bad guys can't just tidy their stuff up remains a mystery to me, but at least here in the wake of war and the downfall of the Dark Lord, they have an excuse. Also, these poor stout axes seem to be exhausted. Ill-treated by their fellow Mordorim and forced to scout the plateau of Gorgoroth for trinkets, they seem to have little strength left for mundanities like cleaning. And also on the plateau, seemingly unbothered by the wrecked land, are statues containing fell spirits. They are drawn to Lugash and that is cause enough for worry. Once inside, taking the secret back door, the depressing barracks of these dwarves gives us a glimpse of civilian life in Mordor. It is, as expected, bleak and hopeless, at least until the infectious voice of Gimli the Dwarf sends its inspiring message for all to hear. The Longbeards will surely welcome the Stout Axes into the realm of the Lonely Mountain, uh, but first there are some things to deal with. The rest of the story is a whirlwind of intrigue, deception, bad magic, and the lingering effects of Sauron. King Vaskmund Greytooth is rescued from the Dark Tower, Zoreth is overthrown, the king is driven mad by lust for the Great Ring Manthrif, and soon the Stout Axes are sundered from their old king. It is a sad story, but so are all tales of Middle-earth. The rest we know. Many stout axes will leave this place far behind. They will march far to the north with Gimli and seek a new home in the Lonely Mountain and go on to do great things here at the cusp of the Fourth Age. Lugash is about as cleansed of evil as one could expect in the darkest, most defiled place in Middle-earth. It remains a standout of white stone in the Black Land. And as I said, all the tales of Middle-earth are sad. Love is now mingled with grief. But in many ways, this standout is a best-case scenario. Even for a people subjugated by pure hatred, enslaved for a generation, and deceived into servitude, even within the heart of the enemy itself, there is still hope, and the strength of all free folk remains a light in the dark. Thank you for listening to Beneath Your Feet. For more information on the show, please visit anchor.fm slash L-O-T-R-O-B-Y-F. Any support, a review, a share, a donation is all very much appreciated. Beneath Your Feet is also available on YouTube. Search for Lotro Beneath Your Feet to listen to past episodes and watch current live streams. You can also join me live each month for the Beneath Your Feet live stream on twitch.tv slash Lotro stream. 
With each show, we dive deep into a particular region of the Lord of the Rings online. We hunt for Easter eggs and talk lore for the upcoming podcast episode. Today's music comes from the Lord of the Rings online soundtrack. This episode was written and read by me. My name is Shoreless, and we'll see you next time when we go Beneath Your Feet. <laughs>